You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies. Hey, everybody, it's Sanity at the Movies, SDCC edition. That stands for San Diego Comic-Con, the corporate event that nerds think is for them. And we are going to talk about that today with our our customary good cheer. You know, <laughs> it wouldn't hurt if it wasn't true. Let, let, let me let me just let me just get this off my chest. I, a lot of the a lot of the podcasting journey that you're going on with me, Nathan, is the journey of someone who's torn between two different desires. And one desire is to be honest about about how stupid everything is, and the other desire is to like things. And I like liking things. <laughs> it's more fun to like things than not like things, especially when it comes to pop culture and stuff. You know, there's a certain kind of uh, person that can get a little cachet on the internet by just hating everything and being above everything and pretending like everything's stupid and nothing's exciting to him. And he wasn't excited about seeing Disney redo such and such brand or see Star Wars come back or anything like that. But you know, I actually do like things. I actually do like things beneath my cynical heart beats the heart of an idealist beneath my cynical heart beats yes. <laughs> i have two hearts actually <laughs> <laughs> much like insert nerdy thing with two hearts doctor who much like doctor who i have two hearts i knew there was a nerdy pull i could make for somebody that had two hearts it's doctor who i've got two hearts one's the heart of a cynic one's the heart of an idealist i like liking things but me too liking I, things is fun i think jake likes liking things a little bit more than i do maybe that doesn't make him a bad person no? <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you agree that you like liking things better than i like liking things i would agree with that yeah and i like not liking things more than you like not liking things maybe although i don't i'm not gonna let you entirely off the hook you like not liking things yeah too. i do like to not like things but did I say who we are? I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. That's Jake, Pastor Jake Mensel. Hey, guys. And we're going to talk about Comic-Con today, and there's a lot of things. I don't know. I guess that's enough prelude. Let's just talk about it. Let's talk first about Marvel. They were the stars of the show they this year, apparently. They blew it all up. They blew yeah. it all up. So I don't know if we just want to go sequentially through what they, like their release schedule. Yeah, I think that's probably a smart thing, because they just, what they did was they... You know, they put a great big timeline up there with question marks all over it. And they went through and they started filling it all in. Right, exactly. Which is Run through and comment on each part of it or not. Uh, first, uh, what I will say, kind of interesting and fun, is that Warner Brothers chose not to make any kind of a splash at Comic-Con with DC. Like There's nothing. no DC anything. And yeah. they've got stuff that I might personally be a little bit more excited about than any of the stuff that Marvel... They've got the Dead Joker movie. The only thing that was DC related was James Gunn saying that Guardians Volume 3 is taking a back seat to uh to Suicide Squad. To Suicide Squ- Squad. Right. But they just did, chose to sit it out for whatever that reason. That was just I mean that was a, actually a Marvel announcement. Right. But all right, we'll go through these things. So you got your Black Widow. Yep. That's a thing. That's a thing. You think ScarJo can do a standalone movie? I guess that's a stupid question. She's done lots of standalone movies. She's Yeah, I mean, it'll be better than Captain Marvel for a straight-up Marvel feminist female hero standalone flick. Yes. You know, if, 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 if for some reason Black Widow manages to be worse than Captain Marvel, then you can come and shove it in our face. I predict that you're right. My uh, Reading between the lines, it feels to me like Scarlett Johansson is a lot less woke than Brie Larson. Like, Scarlett Johansson feels like the kind of person that's woke because she's got you have to be woke to survive in the industry. Brie Larson is actually 
woke Brie Larson. Yeah. Well, the, and they're going to give her a good supporting cast. They got David Harbour in there. That'll be fun. He's flying high right now. Mm-hmm. Of course, they put young Dumbledore. Jude Law. Jude Law, yeah. Yeah, the Brie, uh, Brie Larson had a nice cast supporting her, Sam Jackson. Yep. The people that you haven't heard of, like the lady that played her. Best friend. Her best friend was good. Like, everybody was good in that movie. Yeah. And Brie Larson, I will say again, I said this in a, a couple episodes ago, she's a good actress. She's just an annoying person. But she was an interesting, risky choice, which did not, in my mind, pay off at all. Yeah. But, you know, it's easy to say, well, they made a dumb choice. No, they didn't make a dumb choice. You liked it when they took risks before, so let them take a risk here. But she was a bad risk. So, Black Widow. Then you got the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Are we excited about this one, Jake? This is not a TV really. show on Disney+. Plus. I'm not excited about that one. I, I never thought that Sam and Sebastian Stan, when Bucky had. I mean, people really dug the whole, like, them fighting to be Cap's BFF. Right. Kind of, like, being annoyed with each other, being in the backseat of the car together. Right. All that sort of thing. I thought that but, stuff was cute. I, I really liked Falcon a lot. I, th- I liked his character. I liked in Winter Soldier. I thought it was moving that he was willing to just drop everything in his life to help Captain America because he was such a... It was a little Sam bit of that... was a much better character than Bucky ever was. Yeah, Bucky's the problem here. But I did like that old-fashioned kind of patriotic. It was kind of the last... Before they ruined everything with Chris Evans being all woke and everything like that. Yeah. But it was it was kind of the last real feeling we got of just like, oh, he's you're Captain America. Of course I'll support you. You know, it's just that yeah. old-fashioned kind of do-goodery that I, that I really like. Yeah. So I liked his character, and I'd like to see more of him. But Bucky, for me, was always a zero, and it always felt like they were trying to put more emotion on this poor actor. I don't know whether he's good or bad, but he just always felt miscast and like a pretty boy. Now, well, I haven't watched the—you've watched, uh, what's it called, the first Captain America movie much more recently. I haven't seen it yeah, since first it came Avenger. out. Is his part good in that? I barely remember him. I, I couldn't even told you it's, what he looked like until he showed back up in Winter Soldier. It's pretty small. I mean— it's really just about Captain America, and yeah, it is like, you know, they've got some setup stuff at the beginning. Right. And, you know, they're best friends or whatever, and then... If they'd really nailed they really, that, though, Cap then... has to go and rescue Bucky, and that's how he proves himself and becomes Captain America. Right. Like, the hero and not just the lame uh, figurehead for bond sales. Right. War bonds. But, yeah, no, I, I was the same way. I didn't really track... I was, a, was kind of a latecomer to the MCU in the first place, but I really wasn't tracking like, oh, this guy is, I'm supposed to like recognize that he's Cap's best friend and there's a whole thing here. Nah. Yeah, really, the first Captain America movie, look, obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty, but that's what the movie should have just plain been about. Like how was he- really established. The story is how he lost, lost his best friend, basically. that's That has to be one of the main stories. And I guess people would say it is, but it doesn't really land in a way that's- that pays off in the later films. The way well, the want, later the, the films, way that they want and expect and ask for it to. Right. The later films are trying to pay off something that just wasn't as set well set up the, as it. Yeah, needed just, to be. you're you're never feeling what they're expecting to. Uh, that said, fine, whatever. We'll have Disney Plus. We'll we'll probably give it a shot. No, we will certainly give it a shot. Oh yeah. No question about that. Yeah, no, I will too. I won't necessarily give it that many chances if it's not interesting right off the bat. Yeah. I think, especially if it's going to be more grounded and have action that's about on par with those Netflix Marvel shows and not really special effects extravaganza. We can't spend a billion dollars every episode. 
there's not going to be a lot to hook me if they don't actually do something really interesting with the characters. I think this goes for all the yeah. the TV shows. And so it's just a question of who the writers are going to be and what they're going to write for it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything intrinsically interesting. I don't think there's anything intrinsically uninteresting about that show. Like, I'm it's, not... it's an open book. What can you make of these two characters and what chemistry can you build and what kind of stories can you tell? Right. What kind of stories are you wanting to tell? What are they going to be doing in the world moving forward in a post-in-game world? Yeah. And but the big question that they may be assuming is answered, but I don't assume is answered is why should I care? Yeah. Next we've got the Eternals and then Shang Chai and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Is it Shang Chai? Shang Chai or is it Shang Chi? It's S H O C C H I. Yeah, sure. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. I don't know. I don't know who that is. I don't know. I don't either. I know that it's a blow struck for representation. That's the only thing that I've heard the chattering class chatter about about this one. It's we Asian. We haven't had an Asian lead yet, have we? No, we haven't. So, yay. Well, I'm interested in that one because if we get if we have like a young Donnie Yen you know, mm-hmm. martial arts, kung fu type of film. I'm all about that. I am all about that. I also feel particularly mistrustful of Marvel to do that sort of thing well. Like kung fu, I want to watch a foreign kung fu movie made by kung fu people, generally speaking. Yeah. Kevin Feige is not who I would trust to do a to great, pick a great kung fu movie or to, yeah, you to know. build a great... The apparatus isn't for that they have built isn't for kung fu it's for spectacle right and so and kung fu Although the, the russos and winter soldier had some i thought really great hand-to-hand scenes yeah i i don't know they're a little they're a little cha- they're edited a little chaotically for my taste more chaotically in civil war than in winter soldier in my opinion you know i don't actually agree with that that's interesting because i've had other people say that to me winter soldier is edited better it tells a story through the chaos in a, in a compelling way that's fun. And I think that's what people mean when they say that it has the better action. But in terms of actually knowing what the characters are doing in the action scenes, I would argue that all the post-Civil or uh, Winter Soldier, Russo Brothers have, uh, movies have been better about uh, g- just spatial that awareness. Fight, that the, the whole scene on the carrier or whatever on the ship, everything at the ship at the very beginning of Winter Soldier was pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty good. And Cap fights that French guy. Yeah, but then, like, I always think of the elevator scene, and everybody loves the elevator scene, and the elevator scene... I do not love the elevator scene. What's that? Uh, The elevator scene is pretty shaky cam, but, like, it's still fun. Oh, it's a great setup. It's, it's like, an iconic scene, the way that they set it up, and you know that it's, like, supposed to be the coolest thing, but that's what makes me feel kind of bad about it, is because it's, like, you are expecting the coolest scene in all the Marvel. He's Captain America's on this elevator... You know exactly what's going to happen, and then it's building up to it like a spaghetti western, and then it it fi- happens, and then it's just like, oh well, I'm sure something happened. I wish I would have been able to see it a little bit better. But people always put that one like in their top ten Marvel action scenes, and to me, it's the top one of the top ten disappointments because the difference between what they were going for and what they got is. I think it's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. But I do not let it off the hook. I do not let it off the hook because you're a grumpy person. I'm a grumpy who person who not like things. Who likes not to like things, and because you let them get away with it there, because you like it, then they go and they do more of it, and you suddenly don't like it. The charm wears off, and 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 then you come complaining back to me, and you say, "Oh well, the action scenes weren't as good in such and such a movie, or you know, uh, like like Jake, if we had if we had just held them accountable." For Winter Soldier, 
then maybe we wouldn't have had the problems with the action that we had in Civil War. You know what I mean? Winter Soldier was a breath of fresh air. I know, but... the whole MCU. What people can do, though, and this is going to be the most condescending thing I say all year, people can hold two thoughts in their heads and they can say, this is... This is really good and a big brush of fresh there and it has problems and we should hold them accountable for these problems and say we don't like the problems but we like the really cool stuff and what people always feel like they have to do is choose between the two things. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was hard to see in the moment is I think part of the part of the point. Yeah, like, you're right and that's why I am being a condescending ass when I say that because uh, I don't know why. Why? Why do? Why am I condescending, Jake? We'll just make this episode me processing my own angst about these <laughs> things. It's because I really care about action cinema. <laughs> I'll, just, well, I'll just wrap myself in that. As opposed that to mantle. No, nobody else. No, I know lots of people do, but it's like, okay, I'm not saying anyone else is wrong. Let me just explain my way of thinking. When I come to a scene like that in Winter Soldier. I am looking at it as part of a lineage, and I'm thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm thinking Mad Max. I'm thinking Bruce Lee. I'm thinking about all the kung fu and all the fight scenes and all the different ways there are to do this. And I don't expect that every filmmaker or that every film goer is going to have those reference points, but I do expect that the Russo brothers, being experts in their fields, would have those reference points. And so when they come to an elevator scene like... And they're getting in the ring. You know, Hemingway always said when he wrote, like, he was getting in the ring with Shakespeare. He's getting in the ring. If you're going to get in the ring with Spielberg, with George Miller, with John Woo, with the great action guys, what, what kind of, and, and you have all this huge apparatus and this machine behind you and all this money, what excuse do you have not to actually do something great? That's just what I always think. Why are we as a people willing to settle for a breath of fresh air? You know, a breath of fresh air is nice, but what about perfection? What about greatness? What about Maybe perfection is just really, really hard, even if you have a whole lot of money. Yeah, it is, but it doesn't feel to me like they're trying and failing at perfection. It feels like they're settling sometimes with some of these things. Maybe they were settling when they cast the when they cast when they hired the Rousseau brothers. Yeah. Maybe oh. the Rousseau brothers have limitations and they can only give you the best that they can. And maybe they Maybe that is the best that the Russo brothers can give you. Yeah, I suppose that's true. If I was Kevin, if I was in charge of Marvel, then I would only cast really talented people and we would do really great things instead of the mediocre things that other people do. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Well, uh, so my example, okay, fine. Steven Spielberg is a genius, but Steven Spielberg... He saw what James Bond was doing. He wanted to film James Bo- a James Bond movie. They wouldn't let him do it. So him and George Lucas get together, and they concoct Indiana Jones. Where's that creativity? Where's that spark? Where's that ambition? You know, John Wick. Yeah, I think that actually is where it is. But it's kind of relegated to B movies and to pulps and things like that. And that's fine, I guess. But I wish that our A listers. You know who I think it fails routinely at this. But Lord I admi- and Miller. Who's that? Not the answer to your question, but... Yeah, Lord and Miller are a great example. And so, Nathan, why are you grumpy about them? Well, okay, you got me there. I should be more appreciative of them, and I will strive to in the future. This will be my Scrooge moment. Spider-Verse is, a gr- is the best movie of all time. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> it's really good. It is actually really good. And I, 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 I admitted that it was. But uh, what's his face? Nolan. Christopher Nolan, to me, feels like someone who's in some ways this is going to sound snobby again but he's not as talented like 
his action scenes aren't always cut together in a very good way but he's always trying like he has his big set pieces it's like this is going to be the set piece for the movie and this is going to be the big chase in gotham or this is going to be the do you respect nolan for always swinging for the fences yeah he swings for the fences and comes up with something interesting and originally an original and does it practically and you know you always hear the stories going into his movies like we rented out an airplane so that we could have bane do the thing and we actually turned the airplane upside down I'm not saying everybody has to do it practical. I don't mind digital. But what I like is that spirit of we're just going to go for it. Mm. Whereas the, the Rousseau brothers, what it feels like, whatever the reality is, what, what they managed to communicate to me is we have a way to do this with shaky cam and stuff to just get it done. You know, we have a way to uh, get our quota of shots for the day and put them together in a way that will work and tell the story. But we're not like inspired and you know, those guys don't come from action filmmaking, so maybe they shouldn't be. But I wish Feige, I wish the evil producer was like, all right, boys, get out of the way and let my genius choreographer and my genius. But I thought I thought that that's like kind of what they have is yeah, I, I, I think genius the... choreography and action and special effects teams that come in and take a lot of those types of things out of the hands of. I think that they do. And I just wish that there was more genius, there. more genius in that. Anyway. Maybe everybody hates me now. I don't know how to get out of it, though. So, uh, WandaVision. Uh, the most interesting thing about that is that it is set in a post-in-game world, and it ties in to the MCU moving forward. Mm-hmm. And the real question is, is this in our timeline in a way that we're going to get vision back Mm -hmm. he's going to be saved by shuri or something like that reconstructed you know he's still there and he just needs a power source without the mind stone or whichever stone it was right or is this like in a split you know part of the multiverse and it's going to tie in with dr strange and they have said or no the Russo brothers said they thought they should stay away from the multiverse i think they should stay away from the multiverse. i I think think they, they should stay strictly in our timeline once you allow yourself the creative license to do every well, anything you want like that, it really lowers the dramatic stakes because exactly. it just means no one's ever really dead. Nothing's at stake. Right. And therefore I don't I care much less about WandaVision if it's in a different uni- if it's in a parallel universe than if it's in our universe. Yeah, I agree. I agree hundred uh, percent. next, Doctor Strange in the multiverse. You want to say anything more about WandaVision? Oh well There's really not a lot to say about it. I like Bethany's pretty great. You know, I'm actually probably weirdly more excited about that one than the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I say weirdly you because love story instead of romance. Well, it's weird because you'd think like the Falcon and Winter Soldier on the face of it, if somebody was just pitching me the idea for the story, that's they sound cooler. But Scarlet Witch and Paul Bettany had a relationship that was interesting. They Some had a little character arc. powers that are interesting. Yeah, and I liked uh, Elizabeth Olsen in the role. Are I they going to be good. able to put the money in for special effects to really allow their... I mean, she can do some awesome... They can both do some awesome things in the movies. Right. Are they going to be able to live up to that all the time in the... Well, presumably red digital flames or whatever aren't that expensive, relatively speaking. So she can probably still make some people go flying and stuff like that, wire foo kind of stuff. What I bet they do, which is they find an excuse to have Paul Bettany, assuming he comes back, not wear a mm-hmm. red costume, like have to be in human guise all the time. Or simply choose to be in human guise all the time the way that he was in that 
which being written into a corner like that can be the heart of can can trigger great creativity. You know, sometimes when you have a yeah. limited budget, I mean, watch an old X Files, watch an old uh, Twilight Zone. You know, sometimes when you're trying to do this kind of stuff on a small budget, you have to get creative, and it could be really great. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you got the Loki show. Or no, no, uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. What a wonderful old pulp magazine title. That's what I think about that that's one. That's a film. That's not a, that's a TV film. show. Yeah. All the, everything we've discussed up till now is a TV show that's coming out on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So that one they said is going to be a horror film? Yeah. By that's which they don't mean anything that would register as a horror movie probably to anyone that actually likes horror, horror movies. Films. They it's just not, mean it's going to have a... It's gonna uh, be dark, a, and a darker twist on the MCU. A have more. monsters. Probably a reference point for the level of horror would be Stranger Things. You know, like right. creepy, crawly, weirdness, s- weirdness. PG thirteen, strictly PG thirteen kind of. Oh no, the monster kind of stuff, which could be good. Mm-hmm. I didn't really love the first Doctor Strange, although I think it has one of the more clever endings of any. Marvel movie. It has a actual writ- screenplay with a third act written instead of the third act basically just being we need to Action. run around and get to the glowy thing. Yeah. And turn the glowy thing off or blow up the glowy thing. So that's fun. It was one of the more trippy, interesting visually. Yeah, visually it was good. I think I had had that so hyped that I, it was maybe not as good as I wanted it to be. Like, I was really expecting a lot because it was really sold. You saw all these articles about like, it's finally the first Marvel movie with a, a just a wacko visual hallucinogenic stuff. And it did. It was kind of, but it wasn't that exciting. There's a lot of it. Yeah. That in there. And I just thought that Cumberbatch didn't really do it for me. In that. Yeah, me neither. I don't like, there's a, he, both Benedict Cumberbatch and Hugh Laurie's American has a, a certain kind of nondescript cliched. I'm sure it's like if I do a British accent, you know, if, if I try, I can't even do it. You know, I'm sure they'd say the same thing. Like, what British are you doing here? It just sounds like even if you're hitting the individual words correctly, it sounds. It just feels a little, I mean, I'm sure your British actually feels a lot bit off. But yeah, my British accent just feels like bogus I mean, they're, they're piece both, of garbage. They're but. both fine at it. They're both, but they both feel just just a little bit off, a little bit nondescript, a little bit yeah. Well, in I'm, the same way, I'm sure that they did decide where their character came from. But I'm what sure it sounds like is that they didn't. It sounds like they're just doing an American, American accent. And of course, yeah. there's no such thing as an American accent. There's a Boston. Right. There's a Midwest. There's an Indiana. Yeah. You know, we're here in Southern Indiana. There's people that really talk Southern Indiana. Tom Holland nails it. Yeah, Tom Holland's great. And yeah. He's a better American than most Americans, but. He's doing a specific accent, though. He's a city boy. He's he's from Queens. He's Queens, yeah. And he he just does that. He's Queens. And he doesn't perfect. Queens it up to, you know, it's not like some no, terrible New normal. York accent. It feels natural. No, it just feels very natural. Yeah, you don't, you don't even think about it. But yeah, that, well, and plus, Benedict Cumberbatch is so famous for having an awesome voice yeah. like that's his whole deal like he played smaug the dragon because you cast him for his voice like that's half yeah. of his power they did i never saw the dr seuss did the grinch did they he did an american accent yeah, I think for he that, did too, one of them that too right? i was like that's why would weird. you why would you get him especially thinking about the grinch which had boris karloff who has this wonderful british lispy voice yeah. who who performed in the old animated thing like let Benedict Cumberbatch be British. Probably yeah. maybe it's his fault. Maybe he just liked the challenge of 
doing accents and voices and characters and stuff, but he shouldn't. He should just always play Sherlock. That's what we're paying money for when we see this guy. I can understand him not wanting to, but for me as a consumer, if I'm paying for a Benedict Cumberbatch performance, same way with Downey, I'm really paying for Tony Stark and that whole persona, and I don't want Downey to do anything much else. If I'm paying for Cumberbatch, I want Sherlock, basically. Sorry, Cumberbatch. I mean, you can do the imitation game and stuff on the side, but if you're going to do a big populist thing, then just give me the Cumberbatch that I want. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to take on a populist film, do populist art. Right. If you were basically cast to be Sherlock on the strength of Sherlock, then just just give me Sherlock. You're, you're making a billion dollars. You can do it. Um, they also wrote him weird and that they gave him a lot of Tony Stark-esque yeah. humor. Yeah. Which I know the Marvel movies have done a good job of being humorous, all even with other Well, they've they've they sometimes they've taken some time, but they've always found eventually a way to lean into the strengths of a of an actor and his right. natural sense of comedy. The most notorious example of this was Thor. Right. It took them three films to figure it out. Right. But when they did, it really worked. Yeah, he really locked in and it was great. But the thing about Benedict Cumberbatch is that he doesn't seem actually like a funny guy. He seems like a very serious guy. And when he plays Sherlock, they make Sherlock witty by letting him be serious and acerbic in a way that to us, the audience is funny, but isn't really funny to Sherlock. Sherlock just takes the world super seriously. And that's actually what's like Benedict Cumberbatch. If you watch him in an interview, he just he's not he just the quips don't roll off of him. Right. The way they do off of a it's a uh, different kind of he has charm but it's a different kind of charm yeah and i you know i did like him i will say i liked him in endgame and in uh infinity war i thought yeah he was better in those movies and having him which play off i think that the, i Downey. think that by the time they get to this next one they'll have him figured out yeah i assume you're probably right and it's got a great title and yeah i'm excited about that one i guess a lot of times the second movie will be better than the first one just generally speaking although has that ever actually held true for a marvel movie the second one better. Iron Man two sucks or isn't as good. Thor, Thor two, two is the worst famously, Marvel movie of all time. Mm, actually, Avengers two. Avengers two. Has there ever been a great part two in Marvel? I mean, the one that you could argue for would be Guardians two, but it's got so much wrong with it. That, that movie takes a long time to clear its throat, and it's pretty vulgar. Uh, oh, of course, Winter Soldier. That's yeah. a great two. Yeah, Winter Soldier is the only. That almost feels like a one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, Captain it's America. definitely a new thing. Yeah, and then if you if you look at it that way, then Civil War is the two, and Civil War is pretty great, but it has its problems. Yeah. So, anyway, anything else to say about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness? Nope. But nope. I'm interested in it. Me too. Then you got your Disney Plus series of Loki. I mean, Tom Hiddleston's great. That Loki character is great. I have no idea what they're going to do, but oh. Happy to check it out. Yep, me too. I'll reserve judgment. I'm sure it'll be fun one way or another. Mm-hmm. What I'm, what I guess, what I'm afraid of is I'm, I am vaguely aware of this show called Lucifer. Are you aware of this? Um, I sometimes scroll past it on Netflix or something. And what I think it's about is Lucifer abandons hell or something like that, which is is, is all bad for all kinds of reasons. But artistically, it's bad. It just sounds corny in that. He he leaves behind the dark dominion of Hades and comes to Earth and decide. And he's a detective, and he uses his his Lucifer powers to help solve cases. That sounds so lame. That sounds really. Stupid. And I would be a little bit afraid of that kind of thing. Well, Loki's got a hideout, 
And in order to save money, we're going to have him hide and to keep normal interest, we're going to have him hide out on Earth. So he's now he's going to be low. He's going to adopt a low key persona. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A low key persona. Yep. Nicely done, Jake. Thanks. My hat is off to you. Yeah. And then and then he's like going to meet earthlings that are this because this is bad Loki again you know like he's hasn't been as redeemed as he, the other Loki was so he's gonna he'll this be is this like back in time this is presumably the Loki that escaped in that's what I Endgame. thought but then I I thought I saw something about like telling the story of Loki intervening in human history or some dumb stuff like that oh that sounds awesome actually I, I could enjoy Loki as Doctor Who just having different adventures in different eras and Meeting Tr- Caesar and Shakespeare and... Yeah, tricking George Washington into winning the war, fiending for... That, that actually sounds pretty fun. I think... I mean, if it's Loki as Doctor Who, okay, that is a strong pitch. But again, the idea to me of it being set in a time where there are no present stakes mm-hmm. makes me care less. Yeah. Well, that brings us back to my other bad idea, which is... Loki has to hide out in a small town that looks an awful lot like it's in California, even though it's <laughs> actually not supposed to be in the story. And he becomes a detective or works <laughs> for the police or something. And he meets a human woman who's strong yet inspires him to be a better Loki than, you know, and he starts to see that he should care about people and not just trick them for his own gain all the time. And every week he solves a new case or <laughs> all right let's move on okay. it'd be better than that hopefully but i'm gonna laugh and say i told somebody so if not not you specifically because i think they actually are smarter than that but i want to reserve the right to bring this podcast back if they decide to do that hawkeye hawkeye so this one is uh another tv show this one's starring jeremy jeremy renner as hawkeye yeah and he is training his replacement right mm-hmm and what's her name? Kate something or something? I don't know. It's a chick. Yeah. So it's Hawkeye training the new, the next generation Hawkeye, mm-hmm. who's some chick of yep. some kind. So we've got our first sort of uh, gender character swap where there's going to be a new Hawkeye and that Hawkeye is going to be a woman. There's going to be a passing of the baton and probably some father-daughtery relationship that could be well done, but is fitting in very nicely with... Marvel's move towards feminizing the whole MCU. Well, I think that that's all that she really wrote on Hawkeye, unless you have more to say. But what you just said actually leads us into Thor 4, which is... It is the mother of all abominations. Well, and also the one that will almost certainly be... The best. The most entertaining. It'll be the most fun. I hate it already. Me too. I hate it because I know that it's going to be great. When I see it in theaters, I will love it. And I will also hate it. And you'll be like, oh, man, I'd love to show this to my kids. Because, but I can't. Yeah. So, why? We'll tell you why. Well, let's just tell them the title first, because that'll help. Thor 4, Love and Thunder. <laughs> it's another wonderful title, actually. It um, is a great title. They're embracing the, art, the campiness the with these titles. The is super great, too. It is like Thundercats, mm-hmm. like 1980s Thundercats style artwork. It's pretty great. There are two important, well, there, no, there are three important facts you should know. First of all, this movie is going to be written and directed by What's-His-Face. Taika Waititi. Taiki, Taika Waititi, who did Thor 3, the funniest, freshest, most fun Marvel movie that there is, maybe. Yep. Um, Hemsworth is back. Hemsworth is back. But then there's the two other things you should know. 
is that Tessa Thompson, who plays Valkyrie, has confirmed that her character will be, I forget, gay or bi. I believe gay. I believe She's in search of her queen. She's in search of her queen, yes. Which Tessa Thompson... That's uh, the quote. Tessa Thompson... Re- identifies as bisexual in real life and yeah has, she's bi she's been pushing and saying for Captain years Marvel and now her to, that that Valkyrie is at least bi right and got them to intimate and even write I think a scene for Ragnarok which if you saw Ragnarok you got that sort of intimated there was a thing that happened in a flashback and there was a another woman and whatever but we don't really yeah there's enough for plausible deniability we'll now it's explicit. She's made it explicit. She's been pushing and lobbying with Marvel and uh, at Comic-Con, Feige confirmed. Mm-hmm. And so in this, in Love and Thunder, Valkyrie will be searching for her queen. Right. Well, let's talk about that lover. maybe for a second before we talk about the the, <coughs> the third interesting fact, because yep. I do want to say Disney, what they want to do in a perfect world, what they'd like is to retain our business. Yep. Just from a bottom line, the evil cigar chomping executives that make all the decisions, they don't actually want to be socially aware because they want to keep the maximum amount of profit. What they do want to do is appease, is also keep the maximum amount of profit by appeasing all the people that want them to be socially progressive. And so that what they want to do, I submit to you, is not be not be social justice worker uh, warriors, but find a way to eat, have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, and it's just a matter of how that plays out as to how good or bad we'll end up feeling about it. I mean, it's going to be right. bad one way or another, but it could be full on Last Jedi. Well, uh, yeah, a good the movie way. just feels like it has an agenda. Right. Yeah, Last Jedi versus this next Star Wars film is a good uh, comparison. So is Aladdin and The Lion King, mm-hmm. where Aladdin has this. Re- Retarded, absolutely retarded standout feminist ballad that stinks. Right. Like the song is bad. Like it's not even catchy. It's not like Let It Go or something like that. Right. Which, you know, it's just a terrible song. Mm-hmm. And it's there and it's spoiling the middle of the movie because it, here's our agenda piece. Right. Lion King amps up on the peripheries all kinds of appeasing agenda things without sacrificing anything in the story. Yeah, I would almost put it at like the, it's the Kathleen Kennedy model versus the J.K. Rowling model. J.K. Rowling really doesn't want her world to be gay, I get the feeling, but she really wants to appease people who want it to be. And so she'll say, oh yeah, that character from way back then was gay and of course there's gay people and of course there's but, but they're dead so and dumbledore know. and johnny depp are in a relationship but they were but that was also a thing that was in the past complicates you know the present right and and when we make the movie about it we're gonna make it we're gonna have headlines about how it's the text of the movie it's gonna be pretty much the text of the movie but we're gonna make it subtextual enough that your conservative Christians who aren't thinking about it too hard can still watch it and not, not feel bad. Not feel bad. Like, and, and we're not going to ever have them say the words. We're not going to have, we'll have them stare longingly at each other. Uh, the mirror of era said. We are basically going to do the bare minimum to appease the progressives. And yeah. we're going to, tr- it's going to be tricky for us to figure out where that bare minimum is. And, and we know that we're not going to be able to ever appease them anyway, but that's okay. And because they are, devouring nasty monsters of human beings actually pretty much no matter what we give them 
they will be. It will never be enough because yeah. the story of Harry Potter. Each has two daughters. Yes, exactly. Give, give. Uh, Harry Potter is the story of a cis white male hero on a hero's journey, and that in and of itself is problematic enough that we should probably just burn the whole thing to the ground. Is what a certain kind of progressive SJW would say. And so we can't really appease them, but we want to throw them a bone. So there's that style. And then there's what Kennedy let Ryan Johnson do in The Last Jedi, which is much more explicitly about deconstructing and tearing down the old ways of doing things. If I had to predict, I'd say Marvel, for all Kevin Feige's lip service to how representation is great and it worked with us for Black Panther and we want more for all that. That's what he knows he has to say at comic-con to appease Mm -hmm. these nerds but i don't know that he's actually going to do it i think he's going to do the bare minimum probably because he wants to make these family-friendly movies and he knows in his heart of hearts what it means to make a family-friendly movie i don't know maybe i'm being unduly optimistic i'm not saying that the corruption won't eventually swallow the whole thing i'm just saying i wouldn't be surprised if we were a phase and phase or two out from that but I would have said the same thing about Star Wars, probably. And Star Wars is moving a lot faster than they can't. Yeah, you would have said we all would have said they can't possibly try to ruin this first trilogy mm-hmm. coming out of buying the property from from Lucas. They have to nail this down. Then they can, if they nail this down, they can do whatever they want. Right. And in the second film, they blew it all to pieces. So right. I I think that we're I think. Feige's ready to just blow it to pieces. Yeah, he's. We've had three phases. We've had our finale. We've broken Avatar. We. I think he feels like he can get. He can do whatever he wants. That we're all gonna give him our money, mm-hmm. and he can do things like if he throws in a horror film, if he throws in a kung fu movie, if he get services the characters that are still around then he can do what he wants. Right. Nobody's ever cared about Thor, and Thor is a good place to just do whatever the heck you want. Right. But that could mean anything from, you remember what, a? I keep thinking about what a giant rumble uh, Bill Condon, who directed the Beauty and the Beast remake, made about the about the love. breaking of the, the demolishing of barriers that he was doing by having this this explicitly gay moment in his movie and everybody on the conservative side of things was up in arms about it and the progressives really wanted to cheer and then it just ended with such a whimper because yeah. it was this tiny little moment and it's not that it's not there and it's not that it's not wicked but he was exaggerating what his corporate overlords had actually allowed him to yeah. do to try and appease a certain demographic who ultimately weren't happy with him because he'd promised a lot more than what he delivered he delivered yeah Feige's nothing if not a smart businessman. Yep. So I think in his heart of hearts, he would probably like to have his cake and eat it too. Find a way to delay. Yeah. Because actually, if you just run the numbers, a large part of our country is pretty conservative and Mm -hmm. isn't going to like that stuff. And you don't really want to lose their business. And certainly- Well, in the core, Marvel fan base is conservative. Well, and- Because the the fact is the progressive- overlords they don't care about populist filmmaking like marvel right uh, your average marvel fan is more likely to be sipping a coors light than a craft beer well and in terms of who actually brings in the money your average marvel fan is likely to be in china and guess right. what those people don't want they don't want anything you know the movie won't even make it to one of its biggest markets 
it won't even be allowed past the censors if it's too adventurous. Yeah. So your choices, if if you're smart and you're Feige and and you actually want to get this these evil messages in there, I think what you do is you what the academics would you call you it. you code them in exactly. You you and that's what Hollywood's been doing successfully for years, for a long time, and they've brought about great destructive cultural changes that way. Yep, but they're shooting themselves in their foot a little bit when they start to try and be more explicit about it. Brie Larson or whatever, Captain Marvel is explicitly queer coded. Right. Um, Tessa Thompson is sort of queer coded. Right. And yeah, there will be a lot more of that sort of thing. There will certainly be more of that sort of thing. How much more explicitness there will be, I think is... A somewhat open question. Although when you bring yeah. China into it, that's probably the, your best hope for keeping it on the coding level and not making it too explicit. Mm-hmm. Or at least containing it to some scenes that can be easily excised Extracted for other for, for other markets. Uh, for Yeah, for the international market. Right. If you think about the people who are progressive, they don't actually represent. Like if you think worldwide, the Western, the tip of Western Europe and then uh, the coasts of America are who might want those kinds of things to be explicit. And mm-hmm. they don't represent all the money. Yeah, A lot of the money is going to come from middle America and from the eastern market, whatever whatever the polite way of saying that is, China, basically. Star, guess what doesn't make money in China? Star Wars. And guess hmm. what they wish would make money in China? Star, Star Wars. Wars. But those movies weren't even, the originals weren't even on allowed over there back in the day mm-hmm. so they've only now which is fascinating from a moral perspective because you'd if you were going to say what the philosophy of star wars is you'd say it's kind of eastern i guess but yeah those movies were way too white and and whatever moral in a christian judeo-christian kind of way to ever make it over there back in the day and they don't have the Despite kind of taking inspiration from Buddhism for the philosophy and samurai films for the for the action. Right. Oh, but, I guess we're talking Japan instead of China there. Yeah, the, that's true. But and yeah, with the action at least. Yeah. So should we talk about the other major thing from Thor? Yeah, Lady Thor. Lady Thor, as played by Natalie Portman. The mantle is being passed. The hammer is being passed. Mm-hmm. From Hemsworth to. To Padme Amidala. Which I don't know a thing about the comics. Apparently that's like a big thing that people remember and like. It's a, I think it's probably a big thing that people pretend to like. Right. And pretend to remember. In the same way that uh, they pretended to like Captain Marvel. And they pretended to like the whole Lady Avengers thing that had, what, like a year run and got canceled because nobody cared about it. (laughs) Right. Well, there again, though, I could see them doing it. I don't know anything about how they do it in the comics, but I could see them doing it in a way that within the constraints of superhero storytelling is actually pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to do it. One is to lean into Doofus Thor from Endgame and Doofus Thor is Doofus Thor. And so the torch really does need to be passed to a lady. Mm-hmm. And now the lady is the one with all the potency and Thor's just like, jealous and feeling emasculated that that would actually play that'd be one way to do it um yeah. and it would play into the <clears throat> she i broke up with her or whatever it was from ragnarok yeah. and yeah. and all it would play into a lot that they've been doing with thor the other way to do it would be to elevate thor yeah and 
into an Odin-like or a celestial, eternal kind of transcendent sort of thing. Yeah, and depending on how you do did that, you could have Thor's lady be in an essential, you know, she'd be wielding a hammer and she'd be killing bad guys and stuff, but the the coding, since that's a word that we decided to use in this episode, and I'm not blaming you, I was about to use it. Um, the coding could basically be conservative. Like she could yeah. be she could be Thor's helpmate. Um, right. Doing Thor stuff and they'd both be super powered. Yeah, just like Black Widow was to Cap and uh, Winter Soldier. Well, and the Black Pan- just like the Black Panther films being black are allowed to be much more conservative in their coding. You know, like all the women yeah. are basically very supportive. And yeah, they're feminine. all they're all behind their king. Right. It's all very patriarchal, actually. Yeah. But yeah, it's patriarchal, except they all use spears. Yep. But that's <laughs> that's still bad. <laughs> yep. That's still bad. You know what? Let's just come clean. Our recording <laughs> equipment broke, and we're trying to pick up this conversation. <laughs> we were way beyond this. Well, not maybe not way beyond, but no. however far beyond it, we have no idea what we were trying to say. When, yeah. When we got lost. <laughs> Something so. about Spears. And I think what we were trying to say is that they could go either way with, the, I'm just going to lean into the word coding since we're using this embarrassing academic word. We might as well use it. They could lean. They could go either way with the coding for Natalie Portman's Lady Thor. She could either right. either be like she's the awesome one, and Thor is just this emasculated jerk, which is kind of seems natural with what they've been doing with Ragnarok and Endgame and all that sort of thing. And I left her; she didn't leave me. Kind of yeah. vibe to it all. They could lean into that whole thing, or or they could elevate Thor to another level. Right. He can he can be upgraded. And then she can be up instead of sort of replacing him, she's just elevated by sort of being his queen, by being his right hand. And so, you know, if she's the next Thor, if she wields the power of Thor, maybe he wields the power of Odin, or maybe he, you know, maybe there's some other mythological thing we don't know about, you know, related to Eternals and Celestials and whatnot that allows her to be his gal Friday still. Right. And then if she's, even though little Natalie Portman's got to swing a hammer and kill bad guys and stuff, the movie could basically still be within the confines of traditional sexual morality. It's just that yeah, everybody... Yeah, so she doesn't end up being Valkyrie's lover. Oh, that would be lame. Wow. Wow. If, if they just really wanted to... Drive all over. Drive us away in droves. <laughs> if if they just wanted to be like, give a middle finger to us. Like this is what we're doing now. We hate men. Yeah, they could just hook up Tessa Thompson and uh, Natalie Portman, and then let Fat Couch Potato Thor go back to bullying people on Fortnite. Yeah, although they they wouldn't actually leave Thor there because they do have to service that character. Yeah, since the movie's called Thor, so. But we have a new Thor. Well, yeah, but Chris Hemsworth. It's hard to have a new Thor when you have a character whose name is Thor and who's a beloved Thor. Yeah, I suppose you could have Chris Hemsworth. I don't know. I hope they don't do that. I hope they do the good version that we said, where Natalie Portman is just his wife. Basically, they could the god and goddess, just like Greek mythology. You know. Yep. That'd be that'd be still seems weird. I think I think we didn't record this part. Still seems weird just to think about Natalie Portman doing action at all. Yeah, she doesn't. Uh, what I said it, that we deleted was that she doesn't seem athletic to me. Although she did appear as a ballerina in that one film, The Black Swan. But she played a very vulnerable character in The Black Swan, who was 
like trying to be good at ballet and was being kind of abused by the other. She did not play a commanding ballerina. I, I think she. Did. It's just that Portman, I think, doesn't feel right for these sort of big tent productions. Yeah, she's always like felt she's, out of place. Yeah, like she doesn't have the something, the charisma, the charm, the something. It's I, not that she's not pretty. It's not that she doesn't have, you know, a charming smile. It's not that she. It's just that there's like. You know what I think it is? This is my theory. I think she doesn't want to be there. She just doesn't feel like she believes it. So she wants a paycheck. Well, I don't. Yeah, that is right. That, I think you're right about I that. I think she probably comes to set and is happy and does her job, you know, to be the, the most charitable version possible. Like, she's not just being greedy. She, you know who's good at that is Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, she doesn't exactly. care at all. She hasn't seen any of the movies. She doesn't even know what movies she's been in. But she never feels but like she she's never condescending feels to the like, material. Yeah. she never. She's never sideways at the material. She's all in. She's a lovely Pepper Potts. She's a lovely... T- uh, lover to tony whatever she's like awesome yeah even when they put her in that dumb iron man suit and it's embarrassing for all involved and she's she's all in she's all in she's all in and then when you talk about it even when she like kind of gets caught in the uh, you know off mic like not knowing that she was in a movie she's not like Jake's referring to an incident where they mentioned, wasn't that great your part in Spider-Man? And she said, what? I've never been in a Spider-Man movie. Even when that happens. Even even when that happens, she's really sweet about it. So it's not like she's trying to be above it. She's just, con- she's cute. She's mm-hmm. confused. She never cared about those movies, but she did a good job. Yeah, in she them. came and she gave it her she all. Brought, she and- brought, you know, everything she could to to it and she and she she expresses goodwill about all of it she expresses goodwill and you know that she enjoyed at least playing off of robert downey jr she yeah. there was at least one person that she really respected and had a good artistic experience with yeah and that's probably why she kept doing it is, right hey i'm gonna make a nice paycheck and i'll have fun shooting some scenes with robert downey jr right and i don't ever have to see these movies because they're just junk food anyway well, that's the key to being a good actor in one of these movies. That's an interesting thought is who condescends to the material. Who seems like they're condescending to the material? I'd argue that's the problem with Brie Larson is that. That's what became the problem with Chris Evans. Exactly. It was, never that's, the, that's it was not the problem at the beginning with Chris Evans. No, Chris it, Evans was in a humble position. Chris Evans was a nobody who had. Not another teen not movie. Not another teen movie. And dumb and Fantastic Four. Dumb Force. Fantastic Four movie. Mm-hmm. And nobody thought Chris Evans was any. This was his next shot. Right. And he. And he just played the material clean and everybody fell in love with him. And then he got a big head on his shoulders. Right. And you can feel him playing down to Captain America. You by just, the end, you just yeah. get that sense by the end of those movies. And it's dumb. Yeah. And they turn it into a whole thing. It's well, disgusting. that, by the way, I'm going to tie this into something else that we wanted to talk about that's not Marvel. I think how, how an actor feels about his, their character and about their position in something is really important. And so you take like Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. thinks Robert Downey Jr. is great. Right. That really works for Tony Stark. Right. Well, Chris Evans thinks Chris Evans great. Chris Evans actually thinks Chris Evans is better than Captain America. That doesn't work so well. Doesn't work so well. How, how, how someone feels... So then you start to think about different performances. You think about the fact that Humphrey Bogart always felt a little bit above his characters, but for somebody like Rick in Casablanca, that feels That's great Rick. because the character hates himself. Yep. And so Humphrey Bogart feels like he'd rather be doing something else than acting in this movie. It actually works really well. Because Rick would rather be doing anything than what he's doing. Yeah, right. right. Rick doesn't want to be in this in Casablanca any more than Humphrey Bogart wants to be in Casablanca. Now, I'm going to tie this in to this Tom Hanks. Oh man, thing. yep. I uh, figured that's what you're going to say. The, the, the Mr. What's it called? 
Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mr. Rogers, the wonderful thing about Mr. Rogers was that Mr. Rogers never felt like he had a particular perspective on Mr. Rogers. It just felt... He was just... He just had to do that. He was just Mr. Rogers. He wasn't self-conscious about it. He did not step back and say, I'm doing something good or I'm doing something great or I'm being kind. It's just like, this is what I do. Nobody should ever, ever pretend to be Mr. Rogers because you can't do it. That's the problem. Mr. Rogers is the very definition, at least his public persona is the very definition of not having a lot of self-awareness. He's just like doing what Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers just does what Mr. Rogers just likes doing. Yeah. And so when he's doing, you know, when he puts his feet famously in the water with the the black guy, it's like Mr. Rogers just thinks the world should be like this. He's not. Yeah. I have to believe Mr. Rogers on some level was probably a little bit more savvy than that. But I mean, he had to have been right because. Probably. But but he, Mr. Rogers seems like he's just a true believer. That's the Yeah, he's just like who he is. Like the whole, I mean, you get these stories that pop up all over the place on Mr. Rogers' birthday or something like that. Right. There will be all these tweet threads of people out there with these stories of how, you know, they were in a ele- random elevator in Pittsburgh. Who should get onto the elevator but Fred Rogers? And you start to say something, you, you know, this show meant a lot to me. And the next thing you know, you're in this like 45 minute conversation where he just stops his day to talk to you and ask how you're feeling. And you end up crying. Right. Because he just seems to be the guy that you thought he was on TV when you were five. And you didn't believe that those people could exist. And you didn't believe that Fred Rogers could actually be that way. Right. And it turns out that maybe he actually is who you maybe he is the hero you imagined he was when you were five years old and and i'm gonna say maybe you could find an actor that could play that if it was somebody that we as the audience didn't have any relationship with but we do have a relationship with tom hanks and tom hanks i love tom hanks i think tom hanks is a great actor but tom hanks also loves tom hanks tom hanks (laughs) has a perspective on tom hanks and it's that he's good tom hanks is not in an obnoxious way but just in a (coughs) human way he's a very self-satisfied guy and that comes across in Mr. Right, his perf- in, just in this trailer, you see like, I am playing a character that I know is a saint and I know that and I know that I can do it. Yeah. And that essence imbues this performance, at least in the trailer of Mr. Rogers. And it's- You can't separate them. And what, so you can't, you can't be locked in the idea of seeing Fred Rogers portrayed on screen. You're always processing Tom Hanks portraying Fred Rogers. Right. You compare that to Saving Mr. Banks. Did you ever see that one? With no, I didn't the, see that. It's worth seeing. It's a fun movie. But um, he plays Walt Disney. Yeah. And that's smart because Tom Hanks has that self-satisfied air that where I know I'm the kindest man in the world and I'm here to perform as the kindest man in the world. Well, so did Walt Disney. Walt Disney felt like a kindly uncle, but you could always see the wheels spinning and you knew that he was a savvy, smart, calculating guy who knew mm-hmm. that he needed to play Uncle Walt. Tom Hanks is perfect casting for that because Tom Hanks has played Uncle Tom now for most of his adult career and he's done a good job. Uncle Tom, that's an unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't played that kind of Uncle Tom. Uncle Hanks. Yes, Uncle Hanks. And so it really works well for Disney. It's a, it's, a, it's actually smart. It's obvious casting, but it's it's a smart use of obvious casting. I just don't know who you could cast as Fred Rogers and really pull it off. I don't know. It'd I have really to be don't. like so far outside the box that we wouldn't even think about. Just let Ben Wishaw get old. Yeah, Ben Wishaw get old or I don't know. And he needs to be somebody you don't have that kind of relationship with, right? Yeah, exactly. He needs to be somebody that can disappear into a role. Kind of like uh, 
I've seen him now in a billion things, but Farmer Hoggett, when he first showed up in Babe, was somebody that we didn't know, James Cromwell, the actor. It's yeah. just like, that's Farmer Hoggett. Now, since then, I've seen him play villains and suicides and other things. And it's like, okay, Cromwell can do other things. Right. But for a moment, a brief moment in history, to most people, he just was Farmer Hoggett, yeah. this kindly old farmer. And you kind of would need somebody like that to be mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers, somebody that just came from nowhere, played the part. You think about other kindly old men, you know, Martin Sheen from West Wing. I mean, what would you, they would all have the same problem one way or another that yep. Hanks has. Maybe some British guy could do it. Anthony Hopkins, Mr. Rogers, would actually probably be <laughs> not not a precise. He's too old for it now, and it wouldn't be precisely, you know, he's not a good lookalike. But Anthony Hopkins has that kind of no BS, I'm just going to play this part. They did have at least a couple of magic moment trick shots mm-hmm. where Tom Hanks really looked like Red Rogers in that trailer. Yeah, and maybe we'll be eating crow when this movie comes out because we'll go see it. And once you sort of sit with it a while, you get used to it and you like it. You get lost in it. You just get possible. lost in it's it. It's possible. I I mean, the trailer still got emotions and feels for me, but like... Yeah, but how could it not? You hear the doom, 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 and then they turn into emotional music. Yeah. Tear up, Jake. And I always obey that. No, I do, I do. Coke commercials can make me cry. First to admit it. Yeah. But man, it just, it it made me emotional and it also made me angry. Like, I just don't want to see liars who don't give a rip about and would never want to be like Fred Rogers trying just up there play acting and pretending that they're mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers and that he's some kind of real hero to them. And and not understanding the first thing about what made him great and what made him problematic also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake, we're just about out of time. Let me see if there was anything. Oh, we should talk about Picard. I yeah, guess was could... there other, did we finish the MCU stuff? Uh, yeah, actually Thor was the last one. Did we talk about the Eternals? Or we just skip right over that. I read it off a list, and we don't know anything about it. Angelina Jolie, Camille Nagiani. Yeah, it's supposed guys. to have more LGBT. That's another one that they oh, said was going to have some some Gross. some representation in it. Yay! Oh, uh, that one guy's playing Blade. Yay! I guess whatever. I'm going to get his name wrong. It's not Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali. Yes. Yeah. Which whatever. It's a hard name for me to say. To me, there's nothing particularly interesting or uninteresting about Blade. It's just... It's, I it's, never saw those. If you had seen them, you would realize that they were swaggering Wesley Snipes vehicles, and they were very yeah, much... Yeah, that's what I thought. And extra, I think taking the Blade out of Wesley Snipes is... It just means it's a, you're doing a... Okay, it's a guy that fights vampires. Well, there's a million things like that, you know? Where are the vampires going to come from in this world? I don't know. Probably some lame... Uh, what what is uh, what does Hulk say? Time travel, probably just some lame science. Marvel science. I hate Marvel science so much. We can just do whatever we want and call it Marvel science. In Blade, originally, where do they have they always been there? Yeah, there's just this cabal of vampires that have existed through history, and there's always been a group of people fighting them. Well, Blade is. No, there hasn't always been a group. The vampires have always lived on the fringes and preyed on human. You know, just like regular vampire lore. But Blade is a half vampire, half human vampire bit his mother, I think, when she was pregnant with him or something like that. And so he has all of their strengths and none of their weaknesses. So he's trained by uh, Chris Christopherson to hunt vampires and a fun time is had by all. Chris Christopherson, huh? Yeah, he plays Blade's mentor. It's 
pretty okay. hilarious. It would be great if it was actually Chris Christopherson and somebody had to play the role of Chris Christopherson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just get Chris Christopherson <laughs> to, well, he, Chris Christopherson can't really play anything beyond Chris Christopherson, <laughs> which is what makes it kind of delightful. But you you take Wesley Snipes out of the equation and suddenly it becomes a very generic thing that you could do any number of things okay, with. And yeah. so whatever, we'll see what they do. All right. I care less about et cetera, it. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, one final thing we should talk about. We got uh, to the well, Fred. Were Ryan. there Star Wars things? Nothing particularly exciting. No. Okay. The, the that, that toy line, the Sith Walkers, yeah. Rangers, Sith Rangers. What are they? Sith Troopers. Sith Troopers. Yay! Yeah. They're stormtroopers, but they're red, yep. and they use the word Sith, which plays into your nostalgia for the Jedi lore. Right. More Abrams magic for you. Yep. All right, moving right along. The Money Milkers, I think, is that what they're called? Picard. That's the one, one last thing we want to talk about. They, Pat, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart is 79 years old, yeah. and he is coming back to play Picard for a little 10-episode ten, ten run. Yeah. Um, I'll watch it. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'm not happy about it, but I'll watch it. I'm not happy about it either, but I'll watch it. Patrick Stewart is old. Mm-hmm. He, he feels old in this trailer, but it looks like they're going to try to lean into that mostly. I was never Trekkie. I never watched a lot of Star Wars, but the Star Wars I did watch. Star Trek, you mean? You just said the Star Wars I did watch. That's all you need to know right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> all you need to know. His brain never... won't even let him say the word Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> it just autofills wars. <laughs> um, the only Star Trek I ever watched, if I ever watched it, was... Uh, next generation. Yeah, I mean, that's our Star Trek. It was on the TV. It's we just like the up, thing. It was, like, it was a fine like, thing to watch. Yeah. If there was nothing else on TV. So there's that. But like, I knew when I watched the trailer, oh, I should, because of how the trailer set it up, oh, I should know who this person is. It was Seven of Nine. Right. And I, the name Seven of Nine rings a bell and something about the Borg. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. So, but I don't know. The trailer looked sufficiently dramatic and interesting and i want to see dramatic i want to see epic an epic story of jean-luc picard i like the one last go i like the the wistfulness i like the rage rage against the dying light of it all i like that part of it i'm a little less excited about the final dramatic thing I, i know there has to be a final dramatic thing and i'm not upset about that but the dramatic thing that they seem to be doing just looks so tired to me just like well you know he's got to protect and mentor neo so that neo can take down the borg right and i could just care less about that aspect of it i don't i I almost think if it i know this is a this is this is me just being a grumpy old man they never would have done this in a million years but if it could have just been kind of wistful and nostalgic and not had a big doomsday they need something i know there has to be something but does it have to be the end of the world she's a what does the guy say at the end of the trailer uh, warrior. She's uh, a destroyer. A dis- the destroyer. Yeah. She's the destroyer. She doesn't know what she is. Nobody knows. Is she here to destroy the Borg? Is she here to destroy all of the universe? Yeah. And, okay. Dark Phoenix. Okay. Matrix. Okay. Everything. Yeah. You know, is that it's really what we want from our Star Trek? I thought Star Trek was about like ideas and exploration yeah. and optimistic, progressive ideals about exploration and stuff but i guess not i guess it's about apocalyptic doomsday it'll be fun probably or it'll it'll stink yeah patrick stewart will make it good yeah how does he he not make it remember that we watched that macbeth thing (laughs) what did he do like 
he eats a pickle or something <laughs> in one scene. I don't he know. just like gets some I want to say he gets some pickles out of the fridge <laughs> and just starts chomping pickles while he delivers Shakespearean dialogue. And it's just such a badass, like I'm Patrick Stewart. Guess I what? I can do whatever like, I want. He was probably hungry for pickles. <laughs> what I like to imagine is that it wasn't in the script, but Patrick Stewart just felt like some pickles and said, you know what? I'm such a great actor that I pull this <laughs> I'm off. gonna pull this off. I'm gonna Take the the immortal bard's words and put them to chomping pickles, and you are gonna think it's awesome, and you will. You will. That's the thing. Um, Fat old data. Yeah, not a fan of that. It's kind of creepy. Well, Brent, Brent Spinner is another one of those guys that, to me, always feels like he's maybe not condescending to the material, but it feels like he knows how much you love him. You know, like I'm the most beloved character from a nerdy thing that people really love, and I know it. And I'm gonna yeah. parlay that. Like, of course, they have to bring back. You know, we don't have to bring back Jordy LaForge or anybody like that. But we're gonna bring back. Can you have Wesley show up so that we can say, "Shut up, Wesley"? <laughs> That'd be good. I'd bring back Wesley just for that moment. They should just have Picard drunk, drunk dial Wesley. <laughs> and just tell him to shut up. <laughs> He's Picard alone on Earth. Can't make sense of his life <laughs> before this person yeah. <laughs> shows up. <laughs> drunk dials Wesley. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> Engage. <laughs> Engage this. Yep. <laughs> I'd watch that. See, that's the kind of example of a great story. We don't need an apocalyptic doomsday chosen one. We just need Patrick Stewart drunk dialing and eating pickles. <laughs> that really would be enough. And you have heard that they are bringing back What's-His-Face number two. Riker and Troy. Riker and Troy are, are, are coming, coming back, back to that. Yeah. I did not read that. I didn't read anything about it. I only watched the trailer. Riker and Troy are coming back. Data is coming back, and Seven Hundred Nine's in it. For what that's worth, I never watched her series. I don't. Know. I think she's Voyager. I never watched that. She has her own series. No, she was she was in Voyager. Oh, okay. The things I know about Seven Hundred Nine is or Seven Hundred Nine. I don't even know how to say her name. Things I know about Seven Hundred Seven of of Nine, nine is that she's a former Borg, yeah. that she is in Voyager, and that she's pretty famous fan service. Like, she wore this sexy leather outfit, and okay. that's what dudes really liked about her, and okay. it was really lame and cheap. So if I if I recognize Seven of Nine, I recognize that from Voyager, not from Next Generation. I think so. Yeah. Okay, weird. I could be crazy. Is that the one that had the, the chick commander? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that, the dude with the ridges on the side of his head. Yes, we had that. We had them. We had the, the really the progressive tank. chick commander. And then we had 709 who was like complete, let's throw the fanboys as piece of red meat kind of thing. Yeah, if we're going to have this like feminist captain, we can at least have some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but now they're bringing her back. Fan favorite, 709 or of nine. Yeah. Seven of nine. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. Picard. Picard. That'll be good. You know, the showrunner is Michael Chabon, who wrote Wonder Boys, the novel, and The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which got rejected from the bookening, but I read, and he's an interesting guy. Hmm. He is a smart and savvy writer. He's a, he's just a good writer. That's all there is to it. That's so exciting. That, that, that gives me a little hope that it'll be something beside Maybe they just stuck him with a dumb, well, you got to have a doomsday MacGuffin for your plot. Which is fine, but maybe he'll do something interesting with it. Well, yeah. With, if if you have a good writer, they can, you know, that's a fine constraints to put them under. Right. Do something interesting in the spaces between chasing the MacGuffin. Right. And folks, I get it. There needs to be a MacGuffin. I get that the MacGuffin should be important. And I get that if you're going to call Picard out of retirement, it has to be something pretty 
serious. Yeah. Serious. So I'm not opposed to them having a MacGuffin, and I'm not opposed to it being the the woman who has the keys to all of whatever everything locked inside her and at some point she seven of nine will have to blow herself up or integrate with her some weird thing will have to happen yeah i just uh feel like we've seen that trope a lot lately and it would have been nice if it was something just a different style of MacGuffin. you know logan had that same like we've got the important little girl we've just seen that kind of thing a lot lately so all goes back to willow i think yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah, we, we've got to we get got the Willow important... to blame for that one. Yeah, the important little girl, the important little girl story, or the important, just the important. It's the chosen one story where our hero isn't the chosen one, but our hero's job is to transport the chosen one protect to, the, to chosen the chosen one. place. Yeah, yeah, it's the protect the chosen one story. That's what we'll call it. Yeah, I'm sure TV tropes has an actual name for this kind of story. Yeah, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. There's a whole bunch of them. I guess that's, that's the dragon movie. Dragon. Dra- not dragon movie, the dragon show. Dragon, dragon yes. Prince, the Dragon Prince. Dragon Prince. Is Protect the Chosen One. Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm, I'm, I feel like we're not thinking of some really famous ones, but there's lots of Protect the Chosen One stories. Uh, Children of Men, he has to get the, the last pregnant woman in, of civilization across the, mm-hmm. you know, to the people that will be able to do something good with her. A lot of, a lot of apocalyptic stories you know, like doomsday kind of stories will have like, if we can just get such and such a, you know, usually a female, vulnerable female. Who is or is not pregnant. Who is or is not pregnant, either with the chosen one or or something like that. Yeah. If we can just get her, I guess the famous example is Terminator. Terminator mm. has come back to kill Sarah Connor, who's pregnant with the chosen one. So yeah. We will send back the guy to protect her and he will impregnate her in a goofy causal loop that will blow your mind. Time, tra- time travel. Hashtag time travel. Hashtag time travel. Uh, Hashtag right. looper. Yeah. Looper is, is a really lame. I, I like looper okay, but looking back on it and knowing how Ryan Johnson uses these tropes, looper is exactly an example of Ryan Johnson was probably like, there is this trope. I will figure out how to do my fun thing. Deconstruction. Where, deconstruction of it. Of it. Now yeah. he gets to deconstruct a whodunit. Right. Oh, yeah. Let's not even talk about that. Yep. If you want to see him, if you want to see the... Why would you cast Daniel Craig as a Southerner? I don't know. They've done that twice now. You know what I think it is? I think Daniel Craig, I think it's because Daniel Craig will do it. Just wants to be done being Bond, maybe. Yeah, I think Daniel Craig doesn't, seems like a very serious guy who's probably not always happy with the legacy of Bond. And so he probably likes to do things that are as colorful and different and not James Bond as possible. Yeah. Same reason that Evans apparently signed on to do that thing so that he could be yep. crass and lame and not Captain America. Yep. Yay! And display his utter lack of comedic timing mm-hmm. in a trailer. Like, that's how bad he's going to be in that movie. Yeah, well... Um, he's bad in the trailer. You know, on a whim, I watched a little bit of Last Jedi the other day, and you know who else doesn't have any comedic timing is Ryan Johnson. <laughs> that movie has a lot of... Thudding, yeah, a lot of like jokes that thud to the ground from like Luke being grumpy and uh, or uh, what's his face does a yo mama joke. <laughs> um, Poe Dameron does a like, oh, I'm sorry, I was on your the phone for your mother, that General Hux. That was funny in theaters. I yeah, I remember that. the audience chuckling at that, but maybe the audience made me laugh. I haven't watched that movie since. I don't want to watch it again. No, I, me neither. I turned I it remember, off within two minutes, but I remember in theaters laughing at that joke or 
not despising the audience for laughing at it. One of the two. Yeah, I mean, I can I can laugh at that joke, but it's weird. Like, it shows a weird lack of awareness on Ryan Johnson's part that he would even think to include a Yo Mama joke in Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars isn't really whether he, maybe he got away with it, but why didn't he stop and think about whether it was a good idea in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag. Uh... Ian Malcolm. Yeah, has, Malcolm's speech hacked. Hashtag Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson is like, he just needs to be locked in a room with Ian Malcolm and have him, me and Malcolm give him that speech over and over again because <laughs> that's like all he thinks about is like, I could subvert this trope. I could do this thing. <coughs> you could, but should you? Yeah, like, why would you want to? You know, what people actually like is when Luke Skywalker acts like a cool heroic Jedi. Are people going to need to know that that's a Jurassic Park reference? It is. It's it's the speech from Jurassic Park. No, because they listened to last week's episode about the Lion King and we referenced it heavily okay. there. Jeff Goldblum, you know the whole thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Package it. I'm just trying to just trying to make sure you know everybody stays up to speed. Yep. All right. Standing at the movies, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Till next time, folks. Engage. <laughs>